Hello, everyone, and welcome to Distro Podcast. Today, we have Jocelyn from Headset. She's an awesome, vibrant person and really excited to have her in the industry and excited to have her on this podcast. Jocelyn, do you want to start with giving a little introduction about yourself? Yes, absolutely. Blaine, what's happening? Thank you for having me. I'm about two years into the cannabis industry, and at Headset, I run our California strategy and operations, as well as our new market expansion. And really what that means is that I'm focused on working across all sides of the supply chain in educating partners and the data that we're finding, the technology solutions that we have available to them. But what really led me to this and led me to the cannabis industry is my background coming from ad tech. I started working in mobile the year of the iPhone. And much like cannabis, it's a very parallel journey. It's a new industry, new technology, kind of figuring out this wild west of its ways. And so I knew after spending my whole career working in ad tech that I needed a change. I'd been working in that industry for 10 years. And so I decided to take four months off and kind of figure out what I wanted to do next. But I always had this idea and knew that I wanted to get into cannabis because I am a longtime cannabis enthusiast. And I really was interested in kind of replicating the ride that I had in ad tech. And so as luck would have it, I was introduced to Cy Scott, our CEO and co-founder from a mutual contact in the ad tech world. And we just kept in touch over a few year period. And then when I took some time off and leaving ad tech, I hit Cy up and, and said, okay, I'm ready to, to join the cannabis industry. And he needed someone to launch California and get this market off the ground. So all the stars just really aligned for me to get into the industry and I'm just so grateful because I feel like I can bring in a lot of that past skill set that I had in ad tech and help us navigate this new industry that still feels like that wild west of an industry. Yeah, it is definitely the wild, wild west out here. Cool. That was an awesome breakdown. I love that journey. And do you want to want to educate the audience on what headset is and what you do and what that provides to the industry? Absolutely. So. You can think of Headset as a data company that serves different parts of the industry through software. It's funny because, okay, so I'm like two years into the industry and it's taken me up until like the last six months to really figure out how to communicate what we do because it can seem a little bit overwhelming and also so broad when you just say data. So what does this really mean? I want to break down our ecosystem. And this will give you also an idea of how we collect the data. Because oftentimes in the media or in the market, we're very well known for all of these beautiful reports and these analysis that we put out. But it's really important for anyone in the industry to ask the question of, well, how is the data collected and how does your ecosystem work? So what Headset does is we provide three different softwares to different parts of the supply chain. So our first platform is called Retailer. And what this does is it plugs into a dispensary's point of sale system and it ingests all of that data in real time and it turns it into very actionable reports for the retailer to understand their inventory management, to have a good view of their sales staff and how they're performing. Perhaps maybe a bud tender has more affinity to selling a particular product or a category. So using that information to be able to educate other sales staff or hiring that or having that salesperson on a particular vendor day in which they know that category really well, using this information for benchmarking. 
So looking at what's happening in the retailer store and comparing that to the state of California, for example, so that they can start to ask more questions. Maybe their store is selling 10% of pre-rolls, but California's sales of pre-rolls are at 20%. So then they can ask those questions. Okay, well, how come we aren't selling more pre-rolls? What can we do to sell more pre-rolls? Clearly, they're popular in California. So we're providing all these really detailed analytics for the dispensary's own point-of-sale data. And so one of the reasons that retailers are are really working with Headset is because point-of-sale systems, they haven't really built out these deep analytics for several reasons. One, this is a very new industry for many people to which we are just now seeing people from these more traditional technology backgrounds kind of come in and build more advanced solutions for cannabis. And so Headset, having been around for five years, we've really built this sophisticated platform that retailers are finding very valuable. That's the first platform. So first platform retailer, that's servicing the retailer just to understand their own shop data. The second platform is called Bridge. And what this does, this is built for the brands. And so the brands need to see all their real-time sell-through rates in dispensaries because then the sales teams need to know which accounts to call on, essentially to eliminate any out-of-stock events. But also the brands need this visibility to be able to do enhanced trend forecasting they need to know what products they need to continue to make based off of market demand. And then the third platform is called Insights. And this is what you probably see most in the media. And this is where we take all of that point of sale data and we aggregate it, we anomalize it. So meaning we get rid of any privacy information. And then we put that data into our Insights platform and any producer or person across the supply chain can log in and they can see visualizations and reports for what products, what categories, what brands, all trending in real time. So the people that are using this are commonly, you know, retailers, the brands themselves wanting to know what products to continue to make, where there may be white space in the market. And then, of course, investors who are wanting to understand what the market is looking like. Cool. That was a great breakdown. And yeah, we know people using the Headset Bridge product to see those real-time inventory levels of retailers and the insights. And I personally use the insights product a lot. Love seeing that sales analysis. And that kind of leads me into a question because your analysis, I love that you guys break out the data in different ways. Like you're really big on basket size and these different types of like interesting insights. I'd love to know some of the more interesting insights that you've seen that you've created for the industry as you've been at Headset. Okay, so one of my favorite analysis is this analysis that we did in early February, where we were looking at strain data. And I think this is personally very interesting, because being a longtime cannabis enthusiast myself, strains were really one of the like, most sacred kind of parts of cannabis, right? Like a lot of people would identify with these strains, Jack Herrera is the best or Blue Dream, whatever it may be. So we report a lot on like all these great, you know, analysis on, yeah, like basket analysis, like you mentioned, or what demographics are purchasing what types of products. But what I really thought was interesting was kind of what do strains look like as we're seeing this shift sort of away from strains and into more effect-based selling. 
being like a longtime cannabis enthusiast, I personally have an interest in seeing strains and Appalachian-based strains becoming more of a part of our conversation and not just this focus on an effect. So I want to, you know, have more energy or I, or I need something because I really enjoy the part of cannabis that is sort of that like craft cannabis side. And so, you know, one of the things that we found from this and that I thought was really interesting for California is that the top 10 strains in California make up about 14% of the sales. So strains are important. They're very important, but we are seeing the shift into more effect-based selling. And so the reason that I think this is all really interesting is because strains are so like nebulous and like why they're popular. We don't have enough data in cannabis as a whole to say that a particular strain or that terpene within a strain may produce an effect. Some of this stuff is is just simply marketing. And so I think it's really interesting to just kind of take a step back and look at, okay, well, what are these like top strains? And then sort of using this data to ask more questions of like, well, why is that top strain so popular? And will that continue to be the case? Or what does it look like as a state becomes more mature? And are the strains just as important? Or does it shift more into this like effect-based selling? And what we see from the data is that that is in general the case. We see that some of these older, more mature markets, primarily markets like California, right, that have this like long history of medical back in 96. Also, Washington is another market that we see strains being really important in. We can see that these markets versus some of the new markets that are coming online, like I'm very curious to see what happens on the East Coast and Massachusetts. Do they still have the same interest in the strains or is it that effects-based selling? And so when we're looking at this, you know, we can see from California, like I said, like our top 10 strains are making up 14% of our sales here in California, whereas we look at a newer market like Canada, so Alberta, Canada, or British Columbia, we see that their top 10 strains are actually making up 28 to 25% of their market. And that's probably for a couple of reasons. They don't have as much product diversity. So when you're in a market like California, where we've got a thousand unique brands here versus you know Canada, which doesn't allow all the categories, I think we can start to ask some interesting questions from that data. And so if you're curious, our actually top strain in California is Purple Punch, which quite surprised me because I am less familiar with Purple Punch and I would have thought it would have been more like Jack Herrera or Blue Dream, but it is, it is Purple Punch. I'm shocked by that. I thought it would be Blue Dream for sure or like Green Crack or something like, I don't know, something like that. That's interesting. Yeah. So Blue Dream is Colorado's top selling strain. Wedding Cake is Washington's and Jack Herrera is Oregon's. The question for me is like, same thing as you. I think we're almost at the beginning of a long-term shift of where this is going. Because anecdotally, when I smoke cannabis and I get Blue Dream and Blue Dream and then Blue Dream, I feel like the effects are wildly different. So getting that appellation, like this strain from this farmer gives you this effect is where I'm excited to go. And we stop just being strain and energy like, because I smoked creme brulee and I got it from four different farms and I feel like I got different effects every single time. And I feel like we just have a lot of time we need to go through to let these farmers get figured out, you know, start to be more transparent with how they market things. Yeah, it's going to be a while though until it gets there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like the wine industry and comparing it, you know, to the beer industry, like being able to have all the nuances of how it's grown and the terroir and just like, 
there's so much that goes into cannabis. And I think like for many of us, like longtime enthusiasts, we really want to see that continue to be at the forefront of conversation because it really brings cannabis back to the fact that it is a plant as opposed to a consumer packaged goods, which it is a consumer packaged good. But it is still a plant that serves many different purposes to many different types of people. And so I think it's important to remember that it is a plant and not just an effect that you want to feel. Yeah, completely agree. I kind of want to go in a different direction with the data stuff because there's one thing that you guys put out that I don't see anyone else putting out. I always think is fascinating is gender-based analysis as well. Like I loved when it was Valentine's Day and you showed that females were buying way more than males on that day. And it really leads me into what kind of segments of people are you most interested in? Like elderly, females buying gifts, like what kind of trends are you interested in there? Well, okay. So in terms of the interest that we get, I'll say from like our customers as opposed to to me personally, it really is understanding different demographic groups. So yes, what are the purchasing patterns of senior citizens versus millennials versus Gen Z? I think it's really interesting to look at a especially Gen Z, because these are people that are born 1990 and after. So these are people that just now are starting to turn of age, turning 21. So this is the new demographic that's coming into the market. So I think it's really interesting to look at their purchasing patterns. And one of the things that I found interesting, which was a little surprising to me, is that Gen Z, in terms of flower sales, so like loose flower those sales are declining for Gen Z, but that tends to be for senior citizens and for older demographics, one of the most common ways to consume. And that's that makes sense, right? Like that's older people grew up in cannabis being a smokable flower, right? So they're used to consuming in this way where we see Gen Z coming in and their mindset is more focused on discretion, health and wellness which there is perception that vaping, for example, may be healthier than an inhalable like flower or a pre-roll. So what we see is that flower sales are going down for Gen Z, but their most popular ways to consume are vapes and and pre-rolls, which pre-rolls make sense to be, even though it's a flower and it's lightable, inhalable, it's about sharing and passing it around. So that makes sense with Gen Z. But I think it's really important to look at these different trends within the demographics. And then if you're a brand, really think about, okay, well, how do we target that particular demographic? Because what I see is sometimes brands are just trying to be everything to everyone. And I'm very curious if some brands were to be a little bit more specific to that demographic that they want to target, if they would be able to stand out more in this very saturated landscape. Yeah, I I agree. I think you're starting to see that more though. And it kind of leads me into beverages because I think those beverage companies that are coming out are a good example of companies that are like, I'm targeting a certain profile. I want to target the Gen Z that we think will drink cannabis instead of just smoke it or things like that. By the way, I'm Mm -hmm. curious specifically about that segment. I've seen so many beverage companies come up in the last two years. I just want Jocelyn's input, not even like the data. Do you believe a product like that is going to like take over how people consume? Okay, so this question is so funny to me because I'm asked this question all the time and then I've started asking all of my like network throughout the supply chain their thoughts on beverages because beverages are one of those categories that everyone has an opinion on. So at Headset and my opinion, like we're very stoked on the potential of beverages. I am seeing more and more beverages come into market. 
but we don't see the sales necessarily there. Like in California or in actually all of the markets that headset reports on. So California, Colorado, Washington, Nevada, soon to be Oregon, we're seeing that beverage sales are less than 1% of the overall market. So it's a very, very small portion, but we're starting to see it talked about a lot more in the media. We're starting to see more investors come in. We're you know seeing the major CPG brands get into cannabis beverages. So I'm stoked on beverages and think there's a future for them. And I always ask this question, well, why are sales so low? And I think it comes down to a couple things. And the reason that people may be bearish on beverages is because beverages are really hard to sell. Like if you're at a retail shop, one, sales staff, they don't really understand them yet. Two, traditionally, they haven't tasted that great. We're seeing a lot of product innovation and we're seeing that adjusted. Also, like, you know, the THC levels, it says, it's not as controllable. So we see people having more of a negative experience if they get too high. And then also at a retail shop, it takes a lot of real estate for a beverage, yep. right? And so, and, and they have to have like, <laughs> yeah, the fridge, like that's a shorter shelf life. There's all these challenges that a retailer faces when selling a beverage. And so I think that's like the big part of what's holding beverages up from becoming more popular. I don't think it's that people aren't interested in consuming them. I think it's just that we haven't, as an industry, figured out really how to market them. Okay, so one of the things that's been really interesting to me to watch with beverages during you know all this COVID-19 is that we've seen beverages become one of those categories that's seeing a lot of growth. Like we've seen declines in pre-rolls, but we've started to see increases in edibles and beverages. And so in particular, we were looking at Lagunitas Hi-Fi Hops and their beverage sales two Mondays ago. So when we were looking at like, we looked at four consecutive weeks on Mondays of their data, and we saw that they had sales increases of 70% compared to like an average Monday. Mm -hmm. So we wanted to keep an eye on this throughout COVID because one of the things that we're wondering is like, well, how are people kind of shifting the ways that they consume with all of this going on? So I think like a safe assumption to make is it's probably less harsh on the lungs and you don't have to have as much like hand to mouth interaction. So it maybe is a little safer in transmission. But yeah, I'm stoked on beverages. I'm really happy to see like more innovation happening. I'm really happy that they're tasting better. I personally do not consume beverages as much. I'm a flower girl, but I'm very stoked to see the growth in them because I think beverages are going to be a way of greater like socialization. So like as cannabis consumption lounges become, you know, allowed in more states and more municipalities, I think beverages are going to be a really great way for people to like continue to slowly enjoy something as opposed to continually passing around a joint. Like, I think it's going to have more like social interaction for us through beverages. So I'm stoked to kind of see what that brings. And also, I think one of like, from a, a socialization standpoint, I think there's some data out there saying like people feel more comfortable when they can hold a drink in their hand. Mm -hmm. So when you're socializing. And so I think cannabis beverages are going to be a way of kind of getting people, if they so choose to kind of diminish their alcohol use, gives them another alternative to that. And still those social like needs of wanting to hold something in your hand or just still being able to consume without it being um, as invasive, maybe as flour. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I love that little psychological thing you threw at the end. I think that like holding in the hand and the experience is really interesting. We haven't even started to explore like cannabis social environments though because of regulation. So 
it's like we're so young as an industry. Like we don't have cafes yet. And like when you go to Amsterdam, it's like it's a cafe. It's an experience in itself. And we're start, we're having some, but it's not it's not there yet. Not at the bar level, obviously. But I think it's starting to happen with our cannabis community. We're often meeting up at like Mo Greens or Vapor Room. And like I'm seeing a ton of cannabis folks start to come together and just hang out at consumption lounges. I think as more of society and more cities open up and and allow consumption lounges, then it is going to be comparative to going out to a bar and meeting people. So that's why like, I'm just so excited about what beverages can bring in that regard. Because as for me personally, I'm really interested in socializing with people outside of alcohol driven events. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Yeah. And I'm totally in that world, but I want to see it hit the rest of the, the mainstream. So you actually kind of touched on a topic which is pretty important, and I do kind of want to dive into it more, which is COVID or coronavirus. I'm sure a lot of our listeners would be interested in hearing more about that. We've seen some initial reports, and I did read your report and read your webinar about you know the initial bump of sales when the virus was announced and shelter-in-place was announced because people were stocking up. But I'd love for you to give kind of your two cents on where coronavirus is at, how it's affecting sales, and how you see that affecting the long-term of the cannabis industry? Okay. So over the past two weeks, our analytics team has obviously been monitoring these trends every day. We're publishing a blog where we're looking at all the markets that headset reports on, and then we publish any unique findings. So just like in general, as a baseline to start this conversation, here's what we saw in all the states that we're reporting on that Basically, as soon as they implemented or the mayor announced some type of shelter in place or a stay-at-home order, we saw that there was a correlation between people going out and doing those like last-minute purchases and sales in all of these markets were essentially comparative to what a retailer would see on 420. So that's like 420 is the biggest sales day of the year, right? So for that to happen so quickly was a, a bit surprising to us. But what we wanted to see is what happened after that. So were people going out and purchasing, like stocking up because they thought that they weren't going to be able to go out again because cannabis potentially was not going to be deemed as an essential business. Therefore, they wouldn't be able to have access to it. Or are people consuming more? Like, I think this is a big question that I'm still um, looking for an answer to. But what we saw is that, yeah, now that cannabis is deemed as an essential business and, and most of the states that we're reporting on, the sales spiked as soon as the order went into effect, but then they mellowed out and they essentially, you know, went back to normal levels two days after. That was across the board in all the states. So, we don't have any inferences that we can make in terms of, you know, are people simply consuming more or are they just wanting to stock up because they don't want to have to make as many trips to be determined all that. We're, you know, in three weeks of data at this point. And so that's been interesting to watch. The other thing that I think has been interesting to watch from a data perspective is like looking at inventory levels. So when we look at Nevada, for example, because Nevada is a tourism state, like Clark County, the county that Las Vegas is in, Clark County made up about 80% of Nevada's entire cannabis retail sales. So as I'm sure you can imagine, when Nevada is not, Las Vegas is not seeing nearly as many visitors and Clark County is making up 80% of their sales, that means that there's going to be a lot more inventory on hand because there's a lot less sales that are happening. 
So Nevada was an outlier there. But what we saw in California, Colorado, and Washington is that as these shelter-in-place orders go into effect, a big question is, what does the supply chain look like? And is there going to be enough supply to service this like potentially increased demand that's happening? And from a data perspective, what we saw in California is that the average retailer in California would have about 4.7 weeks of supply on hand. And then over the past couple of weeks, we've seen that that's now at 3.3 weeks of supply. So there's definitely decreased supply that they're having or inventory on Mm -hmm. hand. So I'm not saying that this is going to be like supply shortages. I really have no full insight onto that. It's just interesting to see how quickly inventory is. Yeah, I think that's the reality of the answer is that, hey, we saw a spike. We're tracking things, nothing crazy yet. And it's really just like wait and kind of see. The biggest thing on my mind is is how is this going to affect discretionary spending in the long term with like restaurant layoffs and waiting layoffs like how will that affect cannabis sales in the long term if unemployment continues at the trend it's at mhm like is it recession proof like alcohol and and these other kinds of industries is that kind of what you're Yeah exactly about? this might be putting you on a spot but do you know like the income discrepancies like or the income brackets of sales that might be a super specific data point No I mean it's it's not a super specific data point we're not reporting on that in aggregate like I said in terms of our insights platform we scrub all of that data so we're just reporting on product SKU level data. We report on the consumer data through like a loyalty program via the point of sale Mm -hmm. system, but they're not even collecting that level of data. I would love to talk to whoever is collecting that level of data at scale. I think that's a really interesting, like that's where we need to get to as an industry ultimately is being able to pair in that data and have that full picture of, okay, well, who is the consumer? But based off of all these other data points like income and stuff like that, but yeah, I unfortunately do not have any answer. Yeah, even if you gave a number, it's like really who's actually collecting that data. And I don't think there is an answer to that. Cool. Well, thanks for the summary on coronavirus. I want to get into one last topic though, which is kind of actionable advice for our customer segment. So we work with brands, manufacturers, and distributors. And there's various levels of sophistication. Some of them are using your headset bridge platform to see real-time inventory levels and use your insights platform to see trends. There's a lot that you know aren't leveraging data to its fullest. If you had some key tips or takeaways that a manufacturer, distributor, or brand could take in terms of how they could leverage data, what would you say to them? Keep it simple. So one of the biggest learnings that I personally have had, and this is also one of the biggest things that I've been trying to figure out how to communicate Coming from my past ad tech background, for some reason, we would always try to like use all this marketing jargon and make things sound so much more complicated than they are. Like the more complicated, the better that technology must be, the more sophisticated that solution must be. Well, where we are in cannabis is like, we need to plain talk it. We need to be very upfront and direct because we're dealing with a very different mentality and rightfully so when people have been in this industry and like with medical being here since 96, these are a lot of our legacy people that have really built this industry and they weren't free sharing data, right? Like they couldn't, they wouldn't even keep receipts and stuff. Like they just couldn't do that. So one of the things that I see and that I try to do is just plain talk stuff and just be very like transparent. That's another thing I think our industry needs as a whole, like collaborative effort and sharing information, transparency about information. So when I talk about headset now, 
I'm always trying to be as direct as possible. This is the value that you get from it. This is why I want you contributing your data. This is how it's going to help you. It's just straight talk. I see a lot of this like big, broad marketing jargon speak. And I just don't think that's resonating well because it's not who our client is. And so um, I just wonder if we have more of these conversations with all of our industry leaders and people who are building emerging and new technologies or these like new brands and stuff. If we just straight talk it, where would that leave us, you know? think it'd just be more fruitful conversation. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think that's even a tip for any industry, honestly. <laughs> just be straight to the point. And more corporations come in, we don't want to become that. We don't want to become that. We want to be, you know, no BS, raw. We're building this industry together. Let's talk about it. So let me take it in a different direction. Keep it simple. I do want to keep it a little bit actionable. So if, if you're like maybe a smaller brand that makes your own products and sells them, who in an organization should be leveraging data? Is it the sales manager, the sales reps, the marketing people? Like, who do you think should always be looking at this type of data? Honestly, all departments. So, when we were first having this conversation with an organization, our sales team would generally, or myself, would generally have it with one division within an organization. And what we saw is that. Data is good when it's used for a full picture, right? But if only one part of that organization is having access to like sell-through rates, then that doesn't allow the marketing team to efficiently like communicate that message or effectively communicate that message. And so what we see is the most successful organizations, which are some of our top brands here in California that are working with us, it's because they've incorporated a data-driven mindset through marketing, through sales, certainly through their executive leadership team, through every department, really. And so it shouldn't be in these silos of information. It can't. I personally have not seen any of these like large organizations that only one part of the organization is making use of data or thinking in a data-driven mindset. Do you think that comes top down? Do you think it's really the executives being data-minded? Or do you think that it's something that comes bottoms up? Like, How can a company start to ingrain that in their culture? I think generally it comes top down. However, I see a lot of these really savvy, highly motivated, passionate people that are not executive level, but coming like, you know, a manager, a director that are coming in and that are educating some of these more legacy executive teams and helping them understand like the new way that the world is working. So I think a lot of this is up to an individual being really passionate and educating the rest of their team on the power of what it can do for the company. It can just be one individual regardless of where they sit in the org. But in general, yeah, I do see it come from top down. But our industry also has attracted a lot of these really smart, passionate like people that I'm seeing it come from bottom up as well. But that's less. Yeah, those cannabis killers. And I love when they come from within the industry, the OGs that are just like, stepping up their game and like overperforming. I think those are the underappreciated people in the industry. There's so many of them. Like I'll see them in a company and it's just like, wow, like you are so much more essential to this organization than even they realize. And it's just so cool what they do. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, absolutely. I just love our community. Like honestly, like working in the cannabis industry, it's it's not a job to me at all. Like I mean it's it's just my life. Like I'm certainly not in a nine to five job, but like, yeah, we see these really well-known kind of thought leaders that 
aren't at an executive level per se. They're not running the org, but they're just like so passionate about this plant and about what it can do for our society as a whole that they're just hustling all day long. And I think it is so inspiring. I mean, it's it's really inspired me. It's kind of why I'm trying to do the same thing because I realized that one person really can make a difference. I completely agree. Cool. That was an awesome point to end on. Last question before you go. I'd love to know, I think you already hinted on it. What is your favorite way to consume or favorite product in the cannabis industry? Well, I am a purist in general. And so I'm a flower girl. I love to feel the flower. I want to grind it myself. I want to pack a bowl myself from a bong or roll it. Though I'm not great at rolling. I like pre-rolls. I like joints. That's my preferred way. I have a banana bros device. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those where it like electronically grinds and then packs the joint for you. So I love that. I love seeing the like innovation and technology on that front as well. But I like pre-rolls because I am a creative and social and spiritual consumer. I do not use cannabis for any medical reason. I use it for recreational, but primarily when I consume, it's because I want to get into a more conscious state to do creative activity. So I really like to play guitar. I like to do photography. I like to write. So for me, cannabis kind of puts me in that space. But in order to get there, I believe in the pure form of it. It's not the same for me having an edible or a beverage and then doing those activities. It's like including cannabis in a part of my creative process and working with the flower is is important to me in that part of the process. Yeah, it feels like a connection to the plant itself almost. Totally agree. I exactly. guess I'm a flower boy on my end. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> I like flower a lot. And by the way, on pre-rolls, if you ever need to get a lesson on learning how to roll joints, feel free to connect with one of our employees, Angie. She is a master joint roller. To definitely love to teach you. Austin Jocelyn, thanks so much. Feel free to drop any like ending remarks, but this is awesome having you and excited to have you in the industry. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Cool. Thanks, Blaine.